2,000 years ago, Jesus went up on a hillside. He sat down and he preached the greatest sermon ever preached. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he started that most famous sermon with eight principles that will help you be happy. He said, if you, if you put these eight things in your life, it will bring about happiness. And we call these eight things, these eight principles, we call them the Beatitudes. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the last, or, or the last one for this series. And um, we've been in this series that we call Life Hurts, God Heals. I've been calling it the road to healing. There is a path that you can take to get healing from the pain that's in your past. Um, if you need, you know, specifics on that, talk to Matt, because you remember Matt has everything worked out. And uh, Matt Johnson, Matt, where are you, babe? There we go. It's the hair. If you can't grow hair long, remember, you know, just talk to Matt about other secrets. He's got all kinds of scriptural things that he'll help you out with. We just had a theological conversation when he walked in this morning. Um, but we're talking about overcoming your hurts, your habits and your hang ups, the things that mess up your life. Jesus never promised anybody that you'd have a pain-free life. In fact, he promised just the opposite. Jesus said to his 12 closest followers, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. And say so you might have that you'll stumble. He said, you will have trouble. But then he said, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He said, you're going to have problems. And, and God never promised that we wouldn't. He just said that he would walk through us uh, through these problems. And pain is everywhere. And one of the things that I've learned in over 20 years of being a minister is that we're really good at hiding our pain, putting on this mask, pretending that everything's together, that we've got it all together when our closest friends and family really know the truth. Today, we come to the last step, this this way out of pain, the eighth step uh, that we've been talking about in this God Heal series, and that is share with others. Now, if you're not ready, ready to admit that you have pain, that you've ever had pain in your life or that you might have pain in your life, you've not been ready for any of the messages that we've shared over these eight weeks. But if you have been walking through these things, this is the last step. And this is called the giving back step. And here it is. Yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others by both my example and my words. God wants to use your experiences to help other people. He wants to use you and he wants to recycle your pain so that others can learn from what's gone on in your life. Usually we think that God only uses real gifted, real talented people. That's a lie. God uses regular, ordinary people. Usually we think, well, God used my strength. And God says, I don't want to use your strength. I want to use your weaknesses. I want to use your pain. Because when you stand up and you start sharing from your strength, a lot of people look at you and go, oh, well, that's great. I'll never have those things in my life. But if you start sharing from your weaknesses, people go, I can relate to that. They understand where I'm coming from. And every time you share, somebody out here sees a little bit of themselves in your life. And when I share, somebody sees a little bit of themselves in my life. And we, we get connected. We realize that God put us together and that he wants us to help each other out. When you understand that God wants to use your weaknesses, that God wants to use your pain, it will transform the way you see your life. You will no longer be self-centered, realize uh, just thinking about the things in your life. You'll realize that God wants to use those things to help somebody else. You won't be so self-absorbed. My needs, my hurts, my problems. You start saying, how can I help other people? And that's when you know that you have achieved genuine recovery. When you start asking, how can I help other people? The proof of recovery is that you start helping others. You want to help others, not just focus on what's happened to you. So here's my closing challenge in this whole series. When pain gets your attention, uh, I was talking to somebody this week and they were telling me about, about somebody that just keeps on going the wrong way, keeps on doing the wrong thing. And I said, the problem is they've not had enough pain yet. 
And if I could talk to them, I would say, you've not experienced enough pain because you're not ready to turn over your life to God yet. When you experience enough pain and you are face down, flat at the bottom of your life, and you've got nowhere else to turn, that's when you say, God, I need your help. And that's where God wants you all along. So if you're not ready to admit that, you've just not experienced enough pain yet. If you're tired of the pain and you want a way out, then you say, God, I need your help. And he'll gladly help you. Now, if you go the world's way, then you tend to pacify the pain. Now, I have a pacifier here with me. And uh, this, um, when, when my kids were little, they, they wouldn't do this type of pacifier. You know, there's different styles of pacifier. If you've seen the butterfly one, you know, that has just the straight little nipple thing there, that's what my kids like. But I borrowed this one from, from Jennifer, Wes and Jennifer's uh, kids. They had an extra one, you know, so I'm not robbing them of, of, of the magic thing. But see, that's what people tend to think about pacifiers is they think it's a magic tool. Have you ever seen new parents, especially new dads, first time dads, when that baby comes out, don't have a stinking clue. You know, it, it's stinking is what it does a lot, but that's beside the point. They're holding this thing and it starts crying and it's like they're going to break it, you know, and, and they don't know what to do. And it's like here, you know, giving it away. Well, you, you introduce them to the pacifier. Pacifier is supposed to be this magic thing that wipes away all the ills of the baby. So they'll be holding the baby. The baby's crying. Stick that in there. And, you know, the baby will suck on it for just a couple of seconds. But there are certain times when the baby is not pacified with the pacifier and they'll spit it out. And, the, you know, moms developed this. I guess God wired moms differently. Well, I know he did because moms developed this sense to, to be able to tell what kind of cry the kid has. I just know my kid's crying. I don't know why, but she's like, oh, that's he's scared cry or that's he's afraid cry. You know, that's I'm in pain cry. That's I'm, a, I'm hungry cry. I don't know. I just know that this little thing is supposed to work. So I pop it in there and then he spits it out. And just wailing. And so you go stick that thing back in there. And, and, you know, he'll, you'll see the, the, the expression on the face will change and they'll suck on it for just a little bit. And then they'll realize that it's not what they want. And they'll spit that thing back out. And you watch a dad, you watch a newborn dad, especially if mom's not around or if there's not a woman in the country, then he'll take that thing and he'll put it in and he'll hold it in. <laughs> and that baby, you know, and you're, you're going, this is what you want. Or this is what you need. And that baby, you know, it's bad when the baby contorts its mouth around the thing that's in its face and just starts wailing at the top of the lungs. And then the dad, you know, he'll do this little shaking trick and trying to get that thing in there. And you just want to go, dude, the kid's hungry. That's not going to do it. You can't supply what it needs because the plumbing's not right. You need to find mama and give the baby to mama. And that's what I used to do. I'm like, oh, I loved it when the kids were babies because at night, you know, Janie and I did the alternating thing. It's your turn. It's your turn. If you had to change diapers, you know, I hated my turn in the middle of the night. But when the baby was hungry, I'm like, baby, I can't do anything. I'm sorry. You know, you have to get up because the plumbing is just not right. Well, why do I tell you that story? The reason is what we do in our lives is we try to pacify our pain. Pain comes in. It gets our attention. We try to pacify it. And we do it all kinds of different ways. Sometimes we'll say, you know, well, I'm not liked very much. And so in order to be liked, I've got to be the life of the party. And I might start drinking or I might start shooting up drugs or I might start doing something. Or I might say, I don't like my life. I hate my life. And so I'll do something. I'll smoke this or I'll, I'll shoot up that in order to pacify the pain. And the problem is when you come down off of that high, the problem's still there. It's worse. There you go. It's worse because it's grown as you've ignored it. And, um, and, and God has a different way. God doesn't want us to do that because 
the plumbing's different. You see, we try to pacify our lives with people, things, or achievements. And it doesn't work because God designed our plumbing to be satisfied only by Him. In your soul, there is a need that God wired into you when you were in your mother's womb. And only God will satisfy. And so the pacifier thing just doesn't work. Anything else and we'll be disappointed. God has a different way. Instead of sheltering us from the pain, God has promised to walk with us through the pain. Why? Well, that's a good question. And the Bible answers it in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before we know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Basically, what it's saying is God won't waste your pain. If you have pain, God's not going to waste it. When you find comfort, you take that comfort that God gave you and you take it to someone else who's in the same situation you just came through and you offer that comfort to them. That's step eight. I will take the message that God heals to others in need and share it by my words and my actions. Now, the beatitude that we're talking about is Matthew 5.10. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Now, when you try to share with others, there are times that you'll be persecuted. What does persecuted mean? Ridiculed, made fun of, misunderstood. People are going to give you a hard time. I've told many people in my lifetime, in the, in the last 21 years that I've been a minister, I've, actually it's 22, that I've told people, God will heal your pain. And they've looked at me like I'm nuts. I've told some of you in this room, in face-to-face conversations, that God can heal your past. And some of you thought I was crazy, just some spiritual nut. You get paid to say those things. And you went and you tried things the world's way. And you fell flat on your face. And some of you realized it and you turned to God and you're saying, yes, God's way is the only way. Now, you're tempted to go back the other way, but you know because you've experienced God's healing and that God's way is the only way to do it. God will not waste your pain. Um, and the thing is, God doesn't heal you just for you. I mean, God loves you. God loves you more than I love my children, more than you love your children. But He doesn't heal you just so that you can be healed. He heals you so that you can find someone else and share the healing with them as well. Well, okay, how do you do this step? How do you take this step? How do you share with those in pain? Four very simple words, but they are not simple to put into practice. Here they are. Time, willingness, courage, and faith. Let's look at the first one. Time. Here it is. Take time to write out your story. Write out your story. And then you ask yourself, who could best benefit from my story, from hearing my story? And the answer is simple. It's those people who are going through right now what you just came through or what you've gone through in your past. People are just a little bit behind you in the process. And you say to God, I'm available. And if you say those words to God, I'm available, get ready because God's going to wear you out bringing people into your life that need to hear your story. Those people who need to hear you are all over the world and, and they're going through what you've gone through. One of my favorite stories is in John chapter 9. Favorite Bible stories. There's a blind guy and um, Jesus and his disciples are walking along and the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he might be born blind? Because, see, they had these theological discussions all of the time back then. If you, if you had some... some um, physical defect or handicap, you know, like blindness or you were deaf or, or you couldn't speak, whatever, they would have a theological discussion because a lot of people believe that when you sinned, God punished you by giving you one of those um, one of those afflictions. Now, the problem came, though, was when somebody was born 
blind or born deaf. Then they then they had to try to figure out theologically what was going on. Well, their parents must have sinned so that they were born blind. And Jesus said, no, it's not like that at all. He said, this man was born blind so that the glory of God might be shown. Well, here's what happened. They're walking along. They, they point to him. They say, who, who sinned, his parents or him? And Jesus corrects their, their screwed up theology. He says, no, it's not either one of those things. He said, this man was born blind so that the glory of God might be shown. And he walks over to him and he does something interesting. Jesus healed people in different ways. He could have spoken the words. There are many times. One, one instance in the book of John, he heals a boy, a sick boy from 38 miles away. Just says the word. He's healed. And they find out when they walk back, he was healed at the very moment Jesus said he's healed. So he had all kinds of power. He could speak it. But he didn't always do that. Sometimes he would touch the person. Sometimes he would speak it. This one, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some little mud pies, slaps one on each eye. And then he says to the guy, go wash, which is a really nice thing to say once you just spit on somebody. You know, that's a kind of a cool thing to do. He says, go wash. And so the guy does it. And it just hit me this week. Jesus healed people in different ways back then. And he does that same thing today. God's not going to heal me exactly the same way that he heals you because he doesn't want me to 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 put my trust in some spiritual seance or some some magic ritual. He wants me to put my trust in him. And then I have a unique story to tell and you have a unique story to tell about how God cleanses us and how God heals us. So anyway, Jesus spits on this guy and on the on the ground, puts the mud pies on and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And that was just this place um, in Jerusalem. So he goes and he washes and he's healed. Well, here's what happens after that. The guy starts walking around and, and people are noticing, you know, he doesn't have his stick and he doesn't have somebody guide him. He can see and they go, hey, weren't you the guy that was born blind that used to beg over here? And he goes, yep, that's me. And other people are going, no, he just looks like him. You know, they probably said even 2000 years ago, everyone has a twin somewhere in the world. And they probably figured that the twin was there. And so he said, no, it's me. I was born blind. You know, and they said, well, then how can you see? And he goes, Jesus. Because everybody had heard about Jesus, whether you loved him, whether you hated him. Everybody heard about Jesus because every time he went somewhere, thousands and thousands of people came. They brought sick people because the dude could just say, be healed. They were healed. He was incredible. And, and so he always drew a crowd. Well, he says, Jesus, and they go, OK, they start the theological discussion. Um, who is Jesus? Is he a sinner? Is he come from God? They start this whole line of questioning with this guy. And the guy goes. I don't know. And they said, well, how, how was it that he healed you? So he said that he spit on the ground, made mud pies, put on my eye. I had to go wash the pool of Siloam and I'm healed. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We know that this guy does not come from God. And so the, the guy who was healed, he goes, look, I don't know where he came from, but no one in the history of the world has ever heard about somebody healing someone blind from birth. He said, I'm kind of figuring, and he's talking to the religious leaders, the scholars of the day. He said, I'm kind of figuring he wouldn't have any power if he didn't come from God. How are you guys saying you don't know where he's come from when no one has ever done what he just did to me? He healed me. And I'm standing here to tell you, he healed me. And they said, how did he heal you? And he goes, I just told you he spit on the ground, mud pies, pull us alone, but you're not listening. And so they throw him out of the temple. And they bring his parents in. They say, is this your son who was born blind? And they say, yeah, this is our son. How is it that he was healed? And they said, he's of age. Ask him. You know, they were afraid of getting excommunicated, which is what happens to the blind guy. He gets healed. He meets Jesus. And all he says is Jesus must be from God because he has power. He gets thrown out of the church. Kind of sounds typical, doesn't it? And so Jesus goes and he finds him and he says, 
do you believe in the Son of God? And he says, introduce me to him and I'll, I'll believe in him. And Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you is the Son of God. And he said, I do believe. And he falls on his face and he worships Jesus. Now, um, Jesus does all kinds of different things when he's here to heal us. And your story is unique. They tried to pin this guy down. And you know what he said? He goes, I don't know exactly who he is. One thing I do know. I was blind. Now I see. And that's your story. Your story is, I used to try things the world way, world's way. I used to do the religion thing. Because almost everybody in here has tried religion. And religion is not where it's at. Relationship with Jesus is where it's at. And then you say, I did things the world's way, but now I confess and God has healed me. And I'm getting better from the pain in my past. That's your story. And I guarantee you, nobody's going to argue with your story. Because it's your story. You don't embellish it. You just say, man, I screwed up. If you went to jail, you say, I went to jail. If you had car wrecks, if you did drugs, whatever. What we've tried to do here is build a place where you can be totally honest about your past because we're not afraid of your past. And neither is God. He wants to focus on your future and, and, and redeem your future. So your story is your story. Write it out and think about who can use it. Mark 5, 19 Jesus had just cast multiple demons out of this one guy and the guy wanted to hang out with Jesus. He said, I want to go with you. You would probably like that, too. If Jesus cast demons out, of you want to hang out with him. And Jesus said, no, look what he said. Go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to tell people around you in your circle about him. Now, we've been sharing some testimonies in this time about true people, true problems. And uh, we interviewed Andy Gonzalez, and here's part of his story. Okay, Andy, um, tell me about some of the pain that you've gone through in your life. You've, you've had some, some pretty difficult times, so kind of just share some of that with me. Well, as I've told you before, my parents died when I was a younger man, when I was two years old. And uh, that was real hard on me, not having any parents, and my grandparents raised me. And uh, it was a battle between my grandparents and my aunt and uncle that lived here in Natchez. They, uh, my grandparents wanted the money, my aunt and uncle wanted me, so they fought over this back and forth, went to court, until finally... My grandparents moved me to California. We stayed there for approximately five years. And uh, when we came back, it's still pretty much the same. You know, going back to the courts, uh, my aunt and uncle still wanted me to raise. And it was a big battle over the, over the money. They wanted to be... Uh, you talking about the insurance money? The, the insurance money, yeah. correct. And my grandfather, he's an alcoholic. He really didn't want me, you know. But they pretty much said that they couldn't afford another mouth to feed. And growing up, <clears throat> it was just pretty tough. Um, when I finally turned 18, I did get to, a lawyer contacted me said, Hey, here's, I believe it was $21,000. That's all I got out of the insurance from my parents' death. 
And uh, I went and picked that up. When I got back, my grandfather said, uh, you owe me for raising you. I said, I want some, I want some money. He said, I said, well, how much do you want? It was $1,000. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's unbelievable that this man is saying that I owe him for raising me. And for from the time I was two years old to the time I was 18, it, you know, all he wanted was beer money, basically. You know, $1,000, go get some more beer, go get drunk, whatever. And, uh, it's just it's real tough, you know. Now you you were two when your parents died. They died in a car crash, right? Yes, that's correct. And and you said that that you didn't really know them, but what what did your relatives tell say was your reaction after you heard about it? Well, they they told me that when I was two years old that all I would do is sit in the middle of the bed at my mom and dad's bed, and they said that I knew something had happened to them. But I, I wouldn't go outside and play. I wouldn't do anything. I'd just sit in the middle of the bed, just kind of rock back and forth. And uh, you know, from from what I understand, what everybody's told me that I done when I was younger, that, you know, it's just uh, I didn't have a childhood. It's just misery. It seems like just I stayed to myself. Wouldn't go out and do anything. What kind of relationship do you have with your family nowadays? Not your immediate family, but granddad. Well, they passed. Uh, I tried to, well, when I married, got married to Lisa here, I took her down. I wanted her to meet him. And, uh, well, we never really got the op opportunity to go down and, and visit with him like I'd like to. But we'd find him at the beer joint. Yeah, he'd uh, we'd go to the house and wonder where he's at, and they say, "Oh, he's down in the corner at the <laughs> at the little pub there." And we'd go and see him, and he's sitting at the bar drinking, flirting with all the, the waitresses. You know, just it's just unbelievable. And uh, he died by himself; nobody was there with him. You know, and the alcohol, I'm sure, was the cause of it because he was in the house by himself. He drank quite a bit, and uh, he vomited, and I think he choked on his own vomit, from what, what they tell us. And nobody found him for like three days in the house. So, What about the rest of your family? Are you close to them? Uh, no. it's a, We've never had a real close family. It's a, The only time they really call is when somebody passed away. And... Uh, that's the only phone calls I ever get from my family. You know, I never get any calls saying, hi, how you doing? Uh, we're doing fine. So-and-so uh, passed away, so you're going to be at the funeral? And just, <laughs> I could say every day, thing, you know, that nobody's distraught about, well, they're gone. You going to come by or what? And that, that's pretty much, I've, I've been in Palestine almost 15 years. Had an aunt and uncle come by. And they never even, they went to Tyler to a concert at the Old House and never stopped by to see me. And that hurts, doesn't it? Oh, it does, that they're that close. And I called them and they said, oh, we'll come by, we'll come by. They never seen me. They kept on going. It's just uh, amazing. Well, you said, too, that, that uh, it's been a while since you've been in church. 
Can you kind of tell me a little bit about your church background? But when you came in to New Life, uh, it'd been a long time. How long had you been out of church? Oh goodness, this I visited. I see, it's been about a year or two. What was it about New Life that uh, made you change your mind a little bit about church? How come? How come you started coming, and why did you keep coming? I, I felt comfortable with it. The way Michelle invited us to come out to New Life, and I really, I really enjoyed it. Everybody made feel welcome, comfortable, and, and I told my wife that she goes, "Well, that's great. That's the first church you ever felt like that with." So we kept going. I really enjoyed. Good. It's becoming like family, isn't it? Yes, it really is. That's good. It really is. As a church, what can we do to to help you continue to get better? How can we help you out? Just be there for the support. You know, just... Because it, it's hard at times. You can't do it on your own. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you can probably do on your own, but there's certain things that you need somebody there to lean on to help you with. And you, you need a church family. You need a family. A family I never had. Appreciate you sharing with us, Andy. Um, that's not an easy thing to do, to share your story. But that's the next point, is a willingness to share your story. Be willing to share your story, is your, is your blank there. Acts 20.24 says, My life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work God assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. I want you to circle those words, My life is worth nothing. Once you've taken the time to write it out, then think about what God's done in your life. Then be willing to share it. God allows pain in my life to give you a ministry to others. In fact, pain prepares you to serve. And everybody needs recovery from something. Nobody's perfect. Who can better help an alcoholic than somebody who's dealt with alcoholism? Who can better help somebody dealing with the pain of, the, of abuse than someone who has been abused themselves? Who can better help somebody who has lost his job and maybe faced bankruptcy than somebody who's lost their job and faced bankruptcy? Who can help someone who has gone through an abortion than someone who's already gone through an abortion? Who can help the couple, uh, the parents of a child, maybe a teenager who's gone off the deep end than somebody who has survived those teenage years when their child went off the deep end? God never wastes a hurt. Hear this now, if you don't hear anything else. God never wastes a hurt, but you can if you don't learn from it and share it with others. You can waste that hurt. God won't waste it. The third thing is you've got to display courage to tell your story. Display courage to tell your story. Now, some of you are thinkers in here and you're going, okay, what's the difference in being willing to share your story and the courage to tell your story? Well, lots of us are willing to do something if we are asked to do something. But the truth is, lots of times you aren't going to be asked about your spirituality. What God wants you to do is he wants you to watch for opportunities to have spiritual conversations. They happen all the time. We're just not paying attention or we're afraid to talk to someone about spiritual things. There are folks all around you who need to hear your story. God put them in your life because they relate to your story. And you might even need to apologize to some of these friends. You might need to say, I need to apologize to you because friends don't keep secrets. And I've been keeping secret that God has saved me, that God has rescued me from my past. Sometimes God wants you to take the initiative, which is called intervention. 
Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this. If someone is overcome by sin, humbly help him back onto the right path, remembering that the next time it might be you who is in the wrong. Share each other's troubles and problems and so obey the Lord's command. Now, I want you to realize it doesn't say, I kind of suggest that maybe you ought to think about it every once in a while in your life that you should share the burdens and problems of other people. It's a command. If you are not sharing in the problems of other people, you are not obeying Christ. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. He said, then when you obey, I will show myself to you. My father and I will reveal ourselves to you. So it's not just a good idea. He says, do it. When you share your story, it not only gives hope to other people, it brings healing to you. Every time you share it, you get a little bit better. You're healed a little bit more. You begin growth. People join Celebrate Recovery because of their pain, but people stay in Celebrate Recovery because of the growth that it brings to their life. The courage to share doesn't come from this once a week pep rally we have on Sunday mornings. We're supposed to be here. God commands us to to, uh, meet together as a group of people. That's in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, come together. But the the courage doesn't come from this pep rally we have here. This is a great time to worship and and to, to think about God and to... To dwell on God, the power, though, comes from God himself. Look at Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. Circle that word power. Anybody need power? And I tell folks all the time in Ephesians, it says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to those who follow Christ. That's pretty strong power if you can bring somebody back from the dead. If you can move a stone that, you know, is huge and, and you can, all of those things, that's power. You will receive power and tell people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. The power comes from God. He gives you the courage that is not natural. It's supernatural. The fourth thing is ask God to use your story. Ask God to use your story. The basis for this whole step. Step eight is first Peter three fifteen. If you are asked about your Christian hope, there it is. Circle that word hope. Always be ready to explain it. That's what you explain. You say, you know, I've been forgiven. There's a place for me in heaven. That's my hope. You need to be prepared to give people an answer when they say, how are you recovering? How have you dealt with your past? Then you need to explain the hope. And it breaks my heart that some of you are committed believers and you come here week after week and you hear you're fed by from God. You, your spirit is nourished as we worship together. And then you leave this place and you keep God a secret. The challenge here in total healing is to share your story with other people. Do you want to know why the church can never stop growing? Why New Life Community Church can never stop growing? Because they're hurting people all around us. We got a lot of empty chairs here today. And the chairs represent someone you know who's hurting, that needs to know the message that there is hope in this world, that they can receive healing from their pain. And, you know, when when you share and when you invite people, sometimes they're going to persecute you, sometimes they're going to ridicule you, but we find they usually don't. People don't come to this church because we put up a big billboard and say, New Life Community Church. You know, when I drive into towns, a lot of times I look at the little signs, the church signs. Come visit First Baptist wherever. We love you there. And, and yet they never get outside the walls of the church to show their love to anybody. And so do you think the signs bring anybody in? If we get on TV and we do a bunch of commercials, you think that's going to bring anybody in? When we are effective is when people who are here go out and they invite a friend. And the friend comes and usually what they do is they go, I didn't know church could be like that. I didn't know that, you know, you could dress like this. You could have fun. I've never laughed in church before. I've laughed at churches, but never in church. You know, they say things like that. 
And they say, we had a good time. Just bring them here once. Just challenge them to come once. If they don't like it, they never have to come again. And we'll do everything we can to make church fun. Take time to write out your story. Be willing to share your story. Display courage to tell your story. And ask God in faith to use your story. Matthew 5.14, just a few verses after um, the Beatitudes, Jesus said, You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. What do you go public with? When you were younger, you went public with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You wanted people to know. God, I was, I was just going over this the other day, and I remembered when I was a senior in high school, I was dating a girl named Mark, a cute, blonde-headed girl. And in Borger, what you used to do was drag Main Street. It was about four blocks long, and, and every teenager in the county who could drive, and if you couldn't drive, you, you, know, you did everything you could to find somebody, because that's what we did. We just went up and down Main Street. You know, you'd wave, and it was waste of gas, and it was dumb, but that's what we did. And I was sitting in the backseat of my buddy's car, and I had my arm around Mark, because we'd been dating for a while. We were pretty tight, you know, and, and my buddies are in the front seat. And I had been to this baseball tournament in Pampa. This all came back to me, and I thought, God, what a dork I am. Because I'd been to this, this baseball tournament in Pampa, and this cute blonde from Pampa, which is our arch rival 30 minutes away, you know, that type of deal, she kind of got word to me that she liked me. Well, I was dating this other girl, you know, and had professed my undying love, that type of stuff. But she was cute. And so this one day we were driving down Main Street and had my arm around Marka. And this girl sees me. This girl from Pampa sees me, hops out of her car, runs over to my car. And what was brilliant, sensitive man that I am? What was my first reaction? I went, hey, how are you? Oh, stupid. I didn't get smooches for a long time from Marka after that because she just laid it on me later. She's like. How come you pulled your arm around me? I was like, I, I, I didn't do that. She goes, yes, you. Oh, we had a big fight over that. And I was just like, you go public with things that you are proud of with your spouse, with your children. I, I, you know, why do parents wear Caleb's mom, Caleb's dad, you know, when you're out in the field? Because we're proud of those kids. They may not be able to swing and hit a ball to save their neck, but that's my kid. You know, we're proud. We go public with those things. We go public with our jobs. A lot of times we talk about my job is this or my job is that. My kids. Well, I want to challenge you to go public with Jesus Christ. My prayer is that one-fourth of this room will go public. If one-fourth of this room goes public with Jesus Christ, we will explode. We won't be able to do one service anymore. We'll go to two services. We'll go to three services. And that's what we're, we're willing to do. It. I've talked with the band. I've talked with all the folks. We are willing to do as many of these services as we need to to get the message out that Jesus Christ makes a difference today. But you all are the key. And if just one-fourth of you will go public with your story, it will rock Palestine and this county. And that's my prayer. That's why we started the church. That's why I'm... <laughs> we had some visitors here for, last week from another church, and they're, they're talking about co-sponsoring. And some of you were like... Is that a pastor search committee? Number one, nobody else wants me. Okay, so just get that out of your mind. Number two, it's like oil and water. You don't do this service and then go do something else in a traditional service. I, that would be, uh, just take me now, Lord. I can't do that. So don't worry about that. We, we are committed to building this church. And Janie and I have said, as, God, as long as God leaves us alive, this is the church. This is where we want to be. Because we believe God is going to rock the world. Celebrate Recovery is going to be the most significant thing that I've ever participated in in my life. 
And our church is going to grow from it. You watch it happen. In the months to come, you watch people start coming in here whose lives were broken, who people said, there's no way they'll ever go to church. They're going to, they're going to come to Christ. And God's going to redeem them and He's going to set their lives up to show. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Part of the reason God redeems us is to show throughout all eternity His power and His majesty and His grace that He takes broken lives and He redeems them. He takes broken lives and He redeems them. And, and God's going to do that and celebrate recovery. So, I challenge you to go public. Now, if you take your registration cards real quickly, fill those out for me. And then I want, to, I want you to turn it over the back. There's four choices on the back. And I want, to, I want to explain those real quickly. And then you can put them in our joy basket at the back. Now, we don't make a big deal about money unless you're a member. <laughs> if you're a member, then you're expected to give. Because we do this as a gift to those people that are going to be coming. Some of you are first-time guests. We don't expect you to give. We do expect our, our church members and our regular attenders to give because, you know, it costs money to do this stuff. But we never want to pressure anybody about giving. So when you fill out this card or if you, if you have, you know, a giving thing, there's a joy basket. We don't give grudgingly as under compulsion. That's what the Bible says. It's a joy to contribute to what God's doing. Janie and I write that check out every time we get paid. And, and we think, you know, there's thousands of dollars through the years that we've contributed to whatever church we've been in. And it's a joy. I wouldn't think of doing anything else with my money. Because the stuff we do there lasts beyond the grave. We're, we're investing in eternity. All right, here's the four steps I challenge you to take. Number one is if you've not committed your life to Christ, then you need to do that. The worst tragedy in all the world is for you to come and hear all of these messages and hear about God's power and God's healing and then walk out the door and never give your life to Christ and die and face a Christless eternity. We don't want that to happen. The greatest thing for me is that there are going to be people in heaven someday and they're going to say, thank you. They're going to come up to some of you and they're going to go, thank you. And you're going to say, I don't even know you. And, and I really believe this is going to happen. I believe that there are going to be people who say, you went to that New Life Community Church and you stayed there when it was a struggling church, didn't know if they were going to make it. And, and 70 years after you died, that church reached me for Christ. That's something I want to invest my life in and I hope that you want to do as well. You've got to cross the line of faith, though. You've got to ask God to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And I'll give you a chance to do that in just a second. Number two is I challenge you to write out your story. Take some time to sit down and look at what has God done in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that He could use to help other people. Second thing is commit yourself to some church family for support. Attendance is not, not enough for recovery. You, it takes commitment. It takes relationships. So I challenge you to consider joining this church. We have a, a membership class that takes about two hours, two and a half hours. We feed you. It's class 101. It tells you what we believe in, what we expect. And there's a place to sign up back there at the back. And uh, I also challenge you to get involved in Celebrate Recovery. Number four. Ask God to give you somebody you could share your story with to share the good news of how God has made a difference in your life. The world is full of people who need to hear your story. But if you don't if you don't share it, where are they going to go to hear it? They're not going to have we don't have video testimonies of all of you that we can share. You've got to share that story with others. There are people that won't come within 100 yards of this church, but they will listen to you. They relate to you. They don't relate to me. But they relate to you and you can lead somebody in to Christ. And, you know, we don't need any more television evangelists. We got too many of them already. What we need are ordinary people who will talk to ordinary people about an extraordinary God. Now, I make no apology for this. 
I believe that what we're doing in this church is the most significant thing that you can you can uh, put your life into. It's going to last beyond your job. It's going to last beyond your actual your physical family. Your spiritual family lasts longer than your physical family because it lasts for eternity in heaven. It's going to last beyond your achievements. How many of you still have trophies for when from when you were in junior high? Jason, okay, we got okay, Robert, we got a couple. I think they're somewhere in my mom's house, but they're like in the basement under like 500 pounds of other things, covered with dust. Your achievements fade, but putting your life in a church and telling others about a God who saves people lasts beyond the grave. And I look forward to that. I look forward to standing in heaven and people saying, hey, man, thank you for giving through New Life Community Church. All right. I want you just to bow your heads for a moment.